This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Monica McInerney, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, Cheryl. It's great to be back with you again. Yeah, it is like welcome back, isn't it? Because we we did it. I think we recorded a podcast, what, two years ago? In person, in the olden days where you could sit next to each other and travel. Yeah, we did indeed. Yeah, they were the days, right? So Monica's in Adelaide and I'm in Sydney. I feel that you need no, no introduction, particularly to our audience. One of the stars of Australian fiction is Monica McInerney. She's the author and internationally best-selling novelist of a taste for it, upside down, inside out, spin the bottle, the alphabet sisters, family baggage, the trip of a lifetime, and those Faraday girls, which won the general fiction book of the year prize in 2008 of the Australian Book Industry Award. Her latest novel, The Godmothers, is a moving and perceptive story about love, lies, hope, and sorrow, about the families we are born into and the families we make for ourselves. For more than 25 years, she and her Irish husband have been moving back and forth between Australia and Ireland. They currently live in Dublin, although I've caught her while she's here in Australia, because tell me why you're here in Australia. Well, I'm one of the COVID stranded, Cheryl. I've actually been here since February, very unexpectedly. Um, I was out uh, visiting my mum and visiting my publishers and doing some research for my next book. And I was due to fly back to Dublin uh, to my husband uh, the day that the borders closed and all the international flights were grounded. So very unexpectedly, I've been, um, luckily my mother was a very welcoming flatmate. (laughs) So (laughs) I've been living in her tiny spare room for the last um, eight months. And yeah, my life's sort of turned upside down as so many other other people have during this strange time in our world. Well, it's doubly strange, isn't it, that, that you are here. And I guess in a way, um, it, you know, it is a silver lining that you can be here in the release of your book. But even that's a little bit different, isn't it? Because you're kind of, you're doing a half live and half digital promotional tour. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it was like everything kind of changed and we could see it kind of changing each week. Um, Bella, my fantastic publicist at Penguin Books, um, had organised a great big tour, like 45 live events in libraries all all around Australia, and I love that because I, you know, spend so many months of the year living alone in a, you know, a room on my own. And uh, she'd organised this fantastic schedule, and then bit by bit, as everything changed, um, you know, this state dropped out, that state dropped out, and then we realised, look, it's going to be too um, difficult to do anything. But fortunately, I'm based in South Australia, and so that was another of many silver linings. And um, and South Australia has been pretty much case free, so I have been able to do uh, in person events here uh, and in and around, uh, like in Adelaide and in country South Australia. Um, 
um, but lots of Zoom events with um, lots of libraries in you know, all around the country. So, I mean, it's been fascinating to do and new for me. I'm, you know, I'm 55. I know how to use a phone, but I'm not great on <laughs> other technology. Um, but I've had to learn like everybody has. Um, mm-hmm. Penguin very kindly uh, made a lovely banner because I was in mum's tiny spare room. So, you know, people really didn't need to see all my clothes hanging behind me. <laughs> so, um, so I've learned how to hide things <laughs> on a Zoom. Um, but, you know, it's incredible still managing to talk to readers. And as I said, the live events in South Australia, uh, I've just finished doing nine of those and that, they were fantastic. And, and we felt lucky. We all feel yeah. lucky to be able to meet in person still. Yeah, absolutely. I have noticed too that your book um, is on the uh, top 10 fiction list as well. Yeah, it and did. So it's it went straight been... into that. Yeah. What, has it been out for two weeks? No, not yet. It'll be two weeks tomorrow, actually. Right. So, and it's yeah, back to this. Already yes. on the bestseller list. Oh, that was beautiful news because you don't know, you know, like I've been published for 20 years and this is my 13th book. And uh, But each one you kind of approach, you know, nervously and you hope that, that, that people enjoy it. But no, I was thrilled to thrilled to bits to hear that news. <laughs> I've got to tell you, our readers just love you with such passion already. I think it was week one when, you know, we've got that segment, what are you reading on a Thursday at uh, two o'clock? They were already talking about the Godmothers. So they oh, must have wow. just ordered on the day of release and had already read it. So oh, lovely. that's lovely. Yeah, it really is. I want to talk about your fiction because it has a particular style. Describe to me how you would, and, and I know we hate categories and people hate talking about genres. I'm talking less about genre, more about the style and the voice of how you write. Talk to me about that. Well, if people ask me, you know, what do you write? I describe it as family comedy drama. And I could just say family stories because all of my books do involve, you know, fictional families in some way. But I, all my books spring from me and my worldview and how I approach the world. And um, and while I have been through very, very sad times and very difficult times, and that is reflected in my books, I'm also lucky in that I laugh a lot. I enjoy, you know, I, I get as much enjoyment out of the world as I can as too and, and come from a family that... Uh, it was about quick dialogue and you know a lot of a lot of laughing and storytelling, and I do think all of that goes into into my novels, and uh, so they're, they're rich in dialogue. Uh, there's a lot going on in all of my books. They're always big big casts of characters, big complicated plots, and. I love that. I love to write that. And um, so, yeah, I, I, would, I would call it family comedy drama. But interestingly, I actually think The Godmothers is more a book of, it's a family mystery, actually, because there's, you know, there's secrets to be found at every turn. It's packed with secrets. It's packed mm. with drama. And it's also packed with moral dilemmas. So it's a, it's, a, it's a slightly different story in some ways, I think. Do you know what my take on it? is and because I often I'm watching the readers and and listening to their comments and listening to their questions every single day I read them and I've been thinking about you in light of doing this podcast and what I think the connection is between your stories and the reader is it's people like us I do, and and because I also am very active on um, on Facebook. I have a gorgeous Facebook community, nearly ten thousand people, and we talk all the time. And it's me that does it. I talk directly to them all the time, and I've been getting lots and lots of messages from people who have read The Godmothers in a day, in a night, and I'm writing back, going, "Thank you," but it took me a year and a half to write. Slow down, and. They do, and they, I'm getting a lot of, it resonates, this reminds me of my family, have you been living as a fly on the wall in my family? And, and that's what 
have, I mean, all of us come from be a big family like I grew up in, a family of nine or a small family, like this, the family in The Godmothers is the smallest possible family. It's a, a young girl and, and, um, and her, her single parent mother. And yet everybody has those, those dark times and then the times where light breaks through. And the older I get, I'm not shying away from the difficulties either. And I've been through them myself. And I think that's what is striking chords with people, that people recognise that uh, there are, it's like train tracks in people's lives. You've got one track that, you know, can be the positive and will keep you going. But sadness and loss and grief and anxiety and mental illness and all of those things follow very close. And that's what people are writing to me about to say, I, I know these people, this, this feels familiar to me. You know, my mother, my mother used to say to me, as you get older, life gets sadder. And I never really could make sense of that. And I thought it was a very pessimistic way of looking at life, but it actually isn't. It's just, I think, one being more aware as you get older, but also shit starts happening when you get older, you know? I, I think so, Cheryl, absolutely. Like, um, I think that's very realistic of your mum, actually, because I do, like, I often think if I was like a tree and somebody cut me in half, you know, you'd see all those rings where I had very joyful years and it would be very bright colours and then there would be the years where it, it felt very bleak or I was very sad or people around me were sad. And I've certainly had, you know, lots of those kind of ups and downs and, uh, and, and in recent years. And so when those moments of joy and lightness come, they shine so bright in the way that, a, you know, a star shines brighter against a black sky than it does against a blue sky. And I think that's what happens the older you get, that you, or for me, this is how I feel, and, and my mum is also wise in that regard, that you don't expect everything to be uh, shiny and mm. glowing. Uh, you're realistic about it. And from my point of view, I'm finding that really interesting as a writer because obviously I draw on all the ingredients that are inside me to, to write each of my books. And this year has also marked the 20th year of me being published. So I've been really reflecting and looking back on my earlier books. I did a social media series of looking at each of those, you know, earlier 12 books and the covers and where I was when I was writing them and the research trips and who they're dedicated to and all of that in a way that I haven't done for years because I was always busier, you know, looking at the next book coming out. And there we are, that pandemic silver lining again. I had time to look back and I can see that my first three books were romantic comedies. I wrote them. I was newly married. The world seemed so joyful. But then, you know, like walking, I don't know, all those big events of life came at me and they've gone into my books. Um, not factually. I don't write real events from my own life. I can't. I can't use real characters because they wouldn't do what I need them to do. You know, people wouldn't, I need people to be obedient to me as the writer. That's right. But, um, but they're all really emotionally autobiographical and it, it's all the colours of the rainbow because of that. And sadness is part of our lives. Mm. You know, and that really what, comes across. At yeah, heart. thanks. It from the heart. Yeah. Um, go back to me, talk to me about family and how you came to writing because, you know, you're from a family of nine, is that right? That's right. I've got six, yeah, wow. uh, six brothers and sisters, yeah. Talk to me uh, about that. 
Well, I grew up in a beautiful place called the Clare Valley of South Australia. It's a wine-growing region, and um, my dad was a railway station master there. So we grew up in the station master's house, which was just up the road, like literally just up the road from the railway station itself, and the tracks ran along near our house, like not even 100 metres from our house. And the family joke is my dad still used to drive to work, even though it took him 12 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and uh, we've, I'm sorry if you've heard me joke about this before, but our joke is that we were probably the only kids in Australia that could wave goodbye to their dad when he went to work, wait 12 seconds and wave hello when he arrived because we could see him get out of the car. So, and it was, um, it was the most glorious childhood. And in fact, I was at my childhood house on um, Saturday morning because I was up wow. in Clare doing an event at the Clare Town Hall, which is always part of any, any book tour for me because that's where I started writing. That's where my mum worked in the local library. You know, I was taught by great nuns at the St. Joseph's Convent. I had a really good English teacher at Clare High School and I was, I, I loved telling stories from an early age. And, uh, and I went back to that family house. The new owners very kindly invited me to have a look. And uh, so I had this incredible hour just walking around and it's completely different, like they've changed it. But I used to sit up on the roof and read. Um, it was like an adventure playground, this big, gorgeous old stone house. And uh, so I think I came from really solid ground family-wise. Like we had, it was a real open house. We had um, visitors coming all the time, family, relatives, friends. And I was a great eavesdropper and a very curious child. And I really, really strongly remember lying in bed and hearing the conversations coming in from mum and their friends, then my older brothers and sisters and their friends, and hearing that, you know, the way the tone up goes up and down and their secrets or laughter or arguments and all of that kind of thing. And to this day, my favourite thing of writing in my books is dialogue. And I actually reckon a lot of that came from being that eavesdropping kid, just hearing hearing the voices, hearing the conversation. And also, um, the, our back door was always open, shut, open, shut. You never knew who was going to come in, what drama would have happened or what comedy or, you know, oh, wait till you hear this news. And, um, and I think my books are a bit like that, that, you know, you turn a page and in comes another character who makes, you know, some pronouncement or shock, shock announcement. So writing, you know, I think writing completely sprung from my, my childhood and a childhood full of books. I learned to read at four. We used to get parcels of books sent up from the State Library of South Australia in North Harris in Adelaide that would be delivered to the railway station and my dad would call us over and we'd come and get them from the railway station. Then mum got the job in the local library. So we had after hours access, very lax borrowing limits. <laughs> I can <laughs> and, imagine. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, and I, I'm a writer 100% because I'm a reader and that is from that childhood of being immersed in books and stories and I'm so grateful to it. I'm from a big family too and I've got, I'm one of six, um, I've got four sisters and a brother. But you're right, I mean it's full of story and is it that big families just attract big gatherings? I guess, I guess it is because every one of you has a social network or a group of friends or whatever but there is always, I mean and I, I don't know how often you speak to your siblings but I'm in contact with almost all of them every day and there's oh, always a drama isn't there? Me too, I love Many it. We dramas. have a we have a family WhatsApp group and I swear yes. if I was to send that um, as a script to a TV network, it would probably be snapped up going, wow, <laughs> look at the, look at the drama in this one. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And, and we yeah. send each other photographs and, oh, yeah, we all talk every single day. And, yeah, um, and it's the nature of big family. Isn't absolutely. It? But I think the beauty of a big family also is that, and particularly 
growing up in the country as I did, like in a small country town, we lived opposite the Clare Hills. So I could be a bush kid, I could be a town kid, or I could be a railway kid. I could move very easily between them. And I used to sit up on the roof and read. And so it would be quiet and away from everybody. But of course, I could hear everything going on down below too. And also, I think in a big family, I'm the middle of the seven of us. So I could sometimes be one of the big kids, sometimes be one of the little kids. But also, it's quite easy to get lost in a big family that you can, you know, stand back and observe. Um, So for me, it was the best of, of all worlds. Like somebody asked me once, you know, did they think I would write, did I think I would write the same kind of books if I was an only child? And I don't think I would have. I think I would have had, I who's to say, but I, you know, I probably would have had a very different imagination, I think. You would have um, written a different type of book. Yeah. Maybe really quiet, you know, quiet yeah. introspective books. I don't know. But, you know, yeah, there's a lot to be said for, for big families. I love it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the middle too. There you go. We've got- okay, yeah, you see, we're apparently neglected and have yeah. psychological problems. So, oh, really? yeah. yeah, so that's perfect for being a novelist as well. So. Yeah. I feel quite well grounded, but you never know. Yeah, well, me too. It, it could be what other people think of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, we're, both, we're both reassuring each other here, that's I right. think. That's right. But maybe my sisters and my brother would, would say that that's probably not true. Um, I want to talk a little bit about COVID and authors in isolation. I feel greatly that this alters the narrative, that at some point, because, you know, we're, we're living differently, we've, you know, living through this pandemic, at first it was a shock, now it's our new normal. I think we talked earlier when we were offline about how it's changed our lives, some for the better and some for the worse. But it is a different way of living. Do you think that that will come through in your fiction? Oh, absolutely. And in ways I will have no idea um, and possibly in three or four years when I'm, Mm. you know, working on not like I've started a new novel um, that will be my 14th book. But I had started that before I left Dublin in February and I had the the plot. Like I don't plot my books before I start. I what I do is I have my characters. I always know quite soon. um, And the words I use to describe it is what this emotional explosion I'm going to throw into the middle of my fictional group of usually a family or a group of friends and I don't know if that will be the same book now than if I had you know been living my normal life which would have been me sitting in my attic in Dublin writing this plot but my whole life has been turned upside down I've you know had eight months living with my 81 year old mother that I never expected and heard family stories that I never expected because I would have an idea and be able to come out and there's mum sitting, you know, doing her crossword or her scrabble words with friends or, you know, something and say, mum, what, what was that that happened with that aunt or that uncle? And that's all these incredible new family stories that are going into my my mind and my imagination. I've also had an extremely um, different relationship with my beautiful husband, like not the day-to-day, but because we've had, we've did video calls and daily calls and written to each other. Our relationship has been different and that's surely going to appear in my book somehow. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'll write a book about an, you know, 55-year-old living with her 81-year-old mother after being away for 30 years or about being separated from my husband due to world events, but I know it will, it will emerge in some way. And exactly like if you and I were talking about, I was a musician or, you know, a painter or 
everything. We don't know how it's going to affect us yet. We're living, we're living history at the moment. Because um, well, when I'm reading now, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm reading, you know, um, so many books a week, but it's, and they went out to dinner or they went to a bar yeah. and I'm thinking, wow, that's almost seems old fashioned now. Well, doesn't it just, and it's quite <laughs> shocking to watch a film and, yeah. it's, and they think, oh, don't stand so close to those people, yeah. get away from them. <laughs> and right. I was, um, I was editing um, The Godmothers uh, when I, like when I found myself unexpectedly in mum's tiny spare room and I cannot stress how tiny that spare room was. <laughs> and I'm, and I was editing, there's a scene set on a plane and people were sitting next to each other and no one's wearing masks. And I've also, my, my books are always set, like the Godmothers is set in, um, in Melbourne and around Victoria, you know, of all places. And then it moves to Scotland and to England and to Ireland. And you know, that seemed impossible. Like people are just merrily hopping on planes like they do in all my novels. Like I love those international settings. But again, Cheryl, you know, will my next book be a very quiet book set in one place? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It is so strange to watch those, those things. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I really liked how you touched on your relationship um, with your husband and being separated and also not even ever expecting that to happen. I mean, you know, physical separation I think happens a lot and usually it's planned and whatever. So. Was there a sense of panic when that first happened? And I'm often curious with relationships on how you deal with the new, you know, because you've been together for so long and you think that you've done everything and, you know, that nothing can shake it up, right? And then you get this. And then you get this. Yeah, we've been together for 30 years. And in some ways we were prepared in lots of ways we're lucky, you know, like I've obviously followed so many other people's um, experiences and, and, you know, and they're the ones that are the most heartbreaking that you, people have missed their final moments with their parents or, oh, missed, for sure. you know, been alone for the birth of their child and, you know, even the father's away or something like that. Mm. Um, so in the general scheme of things, I've kept a very strong perspective how lucky I am. I had a very beautiful, welcoming mother. John and I have, um, I've, I've, we've felt that pull between two countries for 30 years anyway. So in a way, I 
have that muscle memory of like of being in one place and wishing I was in another place. That's second nature to me. That's like my default position really. Mm. Um, also, I did always come back to Australia for a month every year. And so we were used to the difficult phone calls when it's early in the morning for me, late at night for him and your moods, are, you know, everything's different. So we luckily had had form in regard to being used to that. But it was very scary. At the, in March, I think March was very scary for all of us. Like how serious was it going to be? We had to make a lot of really quick decisions about should I try and get back to Dublin but what if it's really bad and this is the last time I see mum I'm here with mum it's safe with mum Australia feels safer Ireland's you know about to go back into a second lockdown it's very bad in Ireland and the UK and John actually was the one that said um, I think you should stay there Um, you will never regret a minute of this time with your mum and and he was right and it, it has been tough on us but we are lucky in that we you know we talk and talk every day anyway um we started reading the same books so we could talk about them um and and, and that was really fun like you know if we were living in the same house uh, actually we probably would because if he reads something and he loves you know he would he would say look you know I think you'll enjoy that too but for example um I read um I think I put this up on the better reading what are you reading at the moment actually as I love following that um the age of innocence by Edith Wharton and John had read that and I'd never read it and, he, and so we were sending each other WhatsApp messages and he said Mon I reckon you'd love this you know she's she, technically she's doing some extraordinary things and also I just think you'd love the, the characterization so I was reading it and we were sending you know snap screenshots back and forth to each other look at this paragraph look at this sentence so we had this kind of gorgeous virtual book club of our own um John's a fantastic gardener and we have just a small inner city garden in Dublin but I love you know, the seasons, my, my hobby is nature photography. I just, I love getting out of my own head and I go for long walks and I just take photos of leaves and flowers. And I see that on Insta. On, yeah. On Insta and, yeah. and Facebook, I love sharing those photo galleries. And, um, and I was really sad that I would miss what was happening in Dublin with, you know, our beautiful garden. And John sent me videos every, you know, every couple of days, he would walk around the garden and show me, oh, he, you know, do you remember me planting this, you know, beautiful particular, you know, um, dahlia or, or uh, exotic plant and, and so I felt like I have been there in a way as, as much as I can be there being you know on the other side of the world so and and all of that's got to come up in my stories in the future I'm sure it has to I mean well, it's been also a shift in the relationship I think you know yeah. it is really you do things differently yes uh, so I, I'm sure we talked about this in the last podcast but when you were in an island like you know you've been there how long now uh, 30 years on and off. 30 years. So, you know, most people would call you Irish, right? I mean, Until they hear me talk, g'day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until they hear you talk. But, you know, like there are so many people living in Australia that uh, have grown up here and, you know, I mean, you know my background. Yes. I was born here but Lebanese Australian. Do you feel Australian or do you now feel Irish? I, mean, I think I'm Australian. I'm Irish Australian because I, yeah. I have dual nationality. I'm again, I'm so lucky. I can move freely between two countries. And, you know, that's when my, my heart breaks for, well, not just refugees, but for people who can't travel so yeah. easily. So this is why I have to be, you know, I, I want to say I'm not going to whinge because I, yeah. I am so lucky with the freedom and safe countries to move between and welcome, welcome at each place. I, I think I've become very Australian these last eight months. Like John's here, you know, he, he, he says I've ozzed up is how he describes it. <laughs> but, um, and my friends have been listening to some radio interviews I've been done and they're going, you're really Aussie again, listen yeah. to your voice. And yet when I get back home, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'll, get, I'll pick up the little bit of an Irish accent that I have. Like I, can, I hear myself say, you know, letter, butter, 
um, yeah. better. And, and, and I pronounce the R's a bit more. But it's again, that's going to be interesting because I am always an outsider in Ireland, even though I've lived there for so long and I know it intimately and I love it. Um, but I didn't grow up there. I haven't got all those nuances of an Irish childhood. And, and, uh, and there's a, you know, there's a shorthand that people speak to each other if you've grown up in a place. Conversely, I left here when I was 25, left Australia, and I've spent, you know, um, coming back each month, I often felt slightly like an outsider here too. So, which is no bad place for a writer. Uh, and interestingly, you know, all my novels are about people moving from one country to the other and how that affects them. So I think, I, I think I'm, a, you know, I, I do feel very Australian. I like Cheryl, like magpie warble is still one of my favourite sounds. Um, I love the ABC News jingle. That's yeah. one of my favourite sounds. Um, I love pasties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah. I've, I've been on this road trip around South Australia and every opportunity we stopped at Country Town Bakery so I could have a pasty and be covered in the flakes And because mm. um, you don't have pasties in Ireland. So I think I'm both, you know. I think I'm a, I'm a bit of both. But I'm, I'm more Australian than I'm Irish because that's, mm. my, that's my DNA, I think. You know, as you probably know, I, I, well, when we were allowed to travel pre-COVID, I spent a lot of time in the US, in San Francisco in particular. And people often think that we're so aligned uh, with Americans and we're very like Americans and you know I think we are starkly different you know do you what have you noticed what did you what was your big oh I feel that Americans think differently they behave differently to us one of the positives that I find over there is that they are very very good at believing in themselves yes like when I go over there my gorgeous friends um, they listen to my podcast, right? And so they'll say to me, oh, let's say Petty Carey. So yes. he's Australian living in the US. That Bernard will say to me, oh, you know, Petty Carey's in town. You should interview him. And I was like, oh, not sure that can happen. And um, they give me um, the uh, feeling that I can do anything. Yes. And they have that as a, as a people. And that's not a generalisation, whereas I don't think we have that here at all. So there's nuances that that you know, the way they think about politics, the way they think about day-to-day. I think the only thing we have in common is that we speak the English language in a way, the same English yeah. language, right? But a lot of the day-to-day stuff is very, very different to the way Australians think, the Australian psyche. Um, and that was a positive, and, and there are positives either way. I feel that Australians have, the, have a tall poppy syndrome. But then again, we have, uh, I think that we are more open, we are you know, not as analytical about the self and into the self as, as say, the Americans are. Uh, and we are more, you know, thinking in, in a, a kind of a wider group scenario. But, you know, you can go the pros and cons, whatever. I love it anyway. I love both places. Do you think there's that, what, what difference is starkly different for you in terms of the Irish and the Australians? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I could do a lecture tour on this, especially after yes. eight, eight months, because I've had to unlearn some Irish traits from being here. Yes. Australians are so direct. They're yes. so, they just say it. Say, yes. here's what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what we need to happen. And yes. it happens. Irish people take the scenic route to uh, an opinion and of course, this is generalisations, but yes. there's a um, there's a weaving of way with language that um, that you have to sometimes decode what Irish people are saying, and that has so many positives because it's a gorgeous playfulness with language that um, that 
uh, like Aussies just go, yeah, I, I want to do that or I don't want to do that. If you yeah. hope you enjoyed my really good Australian accent then. But, <laughs> but um, whereas Irish people, it, it, it does tend to be, as I said, a playfulness of language and exploratory language. Sometimes telling a story just for the sheer fun of winding and wending your way to the point. Um, and I grew up, like I'm, I'm Irish, Australian by descent, my grandpa- you know, great grandparents on both sides and each, each generation married other Irish people. And so that's come through. Like my father famously in our, in our house was he would take the scenic route to the punchline. Like if he was telling yeah. you a story, you would, you know, there'd be this diversion and that diversion and you just had to hang on and it was really entertaining. As I said, that directness, I really noticed that. I find Irish people really fascinated in their Irishness and, yes. you know, in, in, and with very good reason, because it's had such an extraordinary history of the, you know, 800, 800 years of being under British rule and then having to break through for the independence. And who are we as Irish people? And what does being Irish mean? It's a constant, constant conversation in Ireland. And that means that the radio, the radio discussions, the radio programs in Ireland are fantastic. Like I, you know, love those. I listen to the radio a lot. And, and there is that real interest in, you know, because of the diaspora, because they've lost so many people either through family or immigration, there is a constant, um, who are we? What are we about? What is our role in, in the world? And now, and, you know, certainly in the 30 years that I've been living in Ireland, I've, I've seen Ireland through recession, through the Celtic um, tiger boom years, the collapse of that. I've seen Ireland become a nation of immigrants as well as emigrants, and it's still getting to grips with that. It's still trying to work out who are we when we bring people into our country. And Ireland has, a, has also a very shameful detention centre um, system for its asylum seekers, and they're still coming to grips with that. They're still throwing off the shackles of the Catholic Church in so many ways, you know, with the, the divorce referendum, with the abortion referendum, um, the whole way that the school system is run. So there's it's a very, very interesting time to have been living in Ireland. I mean, I think it always would have been in Ireland because the sheer, you know, the sheer beauty of the, the country and the and the personalities of the people. But I do find politically it's everybody's engaged in Ireland uh, in a way that Australia, um, you don't have to be here in the same way because it's so gorgeous here. And that, I think, sometimes works in our favour and works not. I think there's a certain comfort in being privileged as an Australian oh. that we are really privileged. We are so privileged. I mean, I just, you know, just to something as basic as beautiful weather most days of the mm. year, what that does to your mood and your psyche and your optimism and and also what's possible, whereas, uh, you know, grey skies day after day, um, you know, or like it's, Ireland's just been through a summer of sorts, you know, there was maybe two weeks where it was warm enough to sit out. Mm. And that, you know, that climbs into your mind and into your personalities. And and people will have asked me, you know, why do you think Ireland has so many writers? And I say the weather. And I'm not joking mm. because it's an introspective weather pattern. You know, if it's yeah. lashing rain no, and it's freezing yeah, yeah. cold, you come inside and you have conversations and you write. Mm. Um, so yeah, again, all of those things, those, those things I've noticed between the two countries, um, I don't know yet how that's going to pan out in me as a human being and me as a writer, but in very um, big ways, I suspect. Mm. Okay, well, we've got to end shortly. I mean, I think you and I can talk for hours. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> I think we've already gone over time. Tell me a little bit about The Godmother. 
The Godmothers, it's, um, as I said, I'm really proud of it. Um, it's, you should it, be. <laughs> it, thank you. It took, I, I had a false start with a book before I wrote The Godmothers and I'd spent two years working on a book. Uh, it got to 200,000 words and then decided to abandon that book because it didn't feel like the right story I wanted to tell. And then I started writing The Godmothers. And so I feel that the Godmothers was a book I was meant to write in a way. I had to work, I had to fight my way through the undergrowth of that other book to get to where the, the new story was. As I said, it's a family mystery packed with um, drama and secrets and moral dilemmas. A cast of big cast of characters, uh, very fun supporting characters that I had to kind of battle with because they started to take over because I was having so much fun writing them, including an eleven-year-old boy and a really horrible older woman um, who was also so fun, you know, because often my, my characters, not, not, I don't want to say often, but sometimes my characters, they get their comeuppance or, you know, they learn something. And this character is absolutely, um, does not learn a lesson at all. She is horrible at the start. She's horrible at the end. And, um, and there are people in the world that get away with that. Oh, and gee, that absolutely. was fun to write. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, no, I have to show it as it is. Yeah. Um, but I just, I mean, I've been bowled over, as you said, Cheryl, it's only been out like a, a week or two and people are emailing me saying, I, I read it in one sitting and I couldn't put it down. And that's music to an author. Oh, I have heard that so many times. People often ask me about the business, about better reading. You know, what is it that people like reading? What are your people reading? And they, they're such great readers, as you know, because I know you follow us and they're wonderful people with a whole lot of empathy, but they are all about the story. Yeah. And if the story has to hold its own, and I can tell that within the first couple of days of release because they tell me. That's great. I mean, you're absolutely the barometer, aren't you, of it? Yeah. So, and I mean, that is, I agree that with with your better reading community, like, the, and they read everything. Like, they I'm a, you know, everything. I'm a, I read two or three books a week when I'm not, you know, not on a book tour, mm-hmm. and um, and I switch between, you know, literary fiction and thrillers and crime and children's mm-hmm. books, etc. As do your folk, and mm-hmm. um, and that's what it comes down to. Like somebody, you know, somebody said to me, oh, you know, how do I describe your book? And I can say, you can. It's a story. You know, it's a uh, we're, we're storytellers, and you That's don't have right. to have to narrow it down to this genre, or you know, oh, it's only you know, it's it's only for women, or it's only for men, or like I'm getting lots of messages from men who are reading this book mm-hmm. too, Godmothers, because it's about a family, it's about fathers and brothers and and um, and male friends and. Uh, I, I think that's exactly it. It's about it's about a story following people through through their their lives. You're a great writer, and oh, you always you. write a good yarn. You thank always you. write a good story. Congratulations, and congratulations for being on the bestseller list. And thank, thank you. you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today. Always, Cheryl. Thanks a million for having me on again. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, 
and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.